Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Um, this is the podcast where we do that. We just talk about the amazing Spider-Man, specifically the comic books. And even more specifically, we're talking about the original uh, run of Spider-Man by its original creators, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, which is a 41-issue run, all told. And we're going to do an episode for every issue. Um my name is Will Hines. I'm one of your co-hosts for this podcast. And the other co-host is... Kevin Hines. I'm also Will's brother. Mm -hmm. um, you might have picked up on that. Um, and we're both Spider-Man fans. Yep. We're huge Spider-Man fans. We have been our whole lives. And uh, I had another podcast called Screw It. We're just going to talk about the Beatles, which is really fun. Currently on hiatus. Might come back. But Kevin... Brought up, oh, you know what? We should do one on Spider-Man because we love him so much and we love these early issues in particular so much. And then um, Kevin pointed out it was a chance for me to expand my brand. Yeah, this my is your screw it brand. Yeah, this is like your uh, books for dummies. Yeah, <laughs> series. Yeah, that's right. I guess I'm laughing, but I don't have a job right now. Like if if that took off, I'd be totally into that. I'm available for this to take over my life. <laughs> world yes. i don't know who Screw i'm going to talk about installing a shower head <laughs> <laughs> um so um yeah this is uh let's say what we're doing here we're gonna uh what, who are we let's start with that sure. who, who the heck are we and why are we doing this so are we qualified to be the people we are brothers but Does that, that doesn't qualify really, us not at all okay um we are performers and teachers at the ucb theater um, Kevin, you in New York City and me in Los Angeles. That's like an improv theater where we've done a ton of performing That's and right. stuff. We each have our coast. We don't uh, go into each other's areas. We have territories. Yeah. It's like a mafia arrangement. There was like a terrible Thanksgiving where we fought badly and we divided up the country and we've agreed to stay apart from each other. Yeah, that's right. Um and uh, but you know we don't have any real special qualification to be talking about Spider-Man. Other than that, we're just huge fans. That's right. We we don't write comics or read comics or even have years we, of experience we, criticizing comics. Yeah, this is all new for us. Well, you you do read comics. I read a lot of comics, but I don't write them. Right. Um, Did I say I? Yeah. You said I don't write. We don't write them. We don't read them. Okay. I meant draw them. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I did read a, a lot of comics when I was a kid, uh, um, and that's basically early 80s Marvel was my main domain, although I read a lot of DC too. And I was the kind of kid, which a lot of comics fans are, when I got into it, I like, you know, went searching for old issues and I read reprints and I wanted to, you know, I was sort of a completist-ish about it and would, you know, read a lot and I would read books about comics. So I put in a lot of time then, but then when I got to like college – I started reading more like indie black and white stuff and not even a ton of that. And I kind of faded out of reading a lot of comics. But Kevin, you stayed with it. Yeah, I never stopped. Um, I mean, I scaled back in college just for uh, uh, money reasons and time reasons. But I never stopped. Um, uh, and then after I got out of college and started having a job, I kind of went back in and I sort of added indie stuff to my never ending reading of superhero stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also, I don't, I'm not a Marvel guy versus a DC guy. I like both a lot. You uh, like good comics when they're good. I like them. And when they're not, 
I don't have any interest in them. Controversial opinion. Yep. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people do just get into characters. Um, yeah. And, they read what they're familiar with or whatever. And and I can't uh, I can't read a character if it's when it gets bad. Uh, a good creator can make me love a character. And I might check in on a character a lot, hoping it uh-huh. gets good again. And Spider-Man yeah. would be one of those where every time there's like a new thing with Spider-Man, I'll be like, ooh, is this guy good? And I'll have yeah. to try it. Um, why don't we get into a little bit just on the off chance that anybody is listening to this who doesn't even really know who Spider-Man is, yep. which is probably impossible. But just in case, let's cover it now. Um, who are we talking about? Who is Spider-Man? So Spider-Man is uh, a, a man. A young boy That's, named Peter yep. Parker who is mm-hmm. bitten by a radioactive spider and totally did the abilities and powers of a spider. <laughs> yeah, totally checks out. Um, and he's a, he debuted in a comic book in 1962 from Marvel Comics, uh, right. created, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, and was a huge hit, I think, right away. It was very popular. Um, and has since become basically the like Mickey Mouse... Like Spider-Man is to Marvel Comics what Mickey Mouse is to Disney. He's the signature character if there is one. Yes. He is definitely the most famous character Marvel Comics has. Um, and they, they have many very famous characters. But, you know, there, there was a long time where Spidey's head would be on every single Marvel Comics issue as a little almost logo of Marvel Comics. Yeah, I mean, I would guess, uh, uh, not counting the current movies, like Wolverine is probably the next most famous character. Yeah, I weirdly think the Hulk is very recognizable, too. And I think, yeah, the Hulk, because of the TV show, if nothing else. Yeah, but Spider-Man is still number one. Like, he is he is, he is the the dominant property of Marvel. Uh, I think. Which is why it was such a big deal, I think, when Marvel got the rights to have him in the Avengers movies. Right, because since he's so popular, he was probably one of the f- most aggressively sought-after character to make movies about. And Sony got the rights. And so the original Spider-Man movies with... Um, Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire were Sony pictures. We have our opinions about those movies. Um, and um, and the same with the Andrew know, Garfield movies that followed. Yeah, so Marvel – then Marvel became its a force in the movie industry itself. And so there was a while before they were able to incorporate Spider-Man into their movies. Sony still has the rights or something like yeah, that? Yes, Sony and Marvel share the rights or share the ability to make them – like they co-made the new movie – um, I don't know what well, the arrangement is, what sort of guarantee Marvel has that Sony won't just be like, no, nah, you can't use them anymore. Yeah. There must be some guarantee, but I don't yeah. know how much of one. Yeah. Um, we're not we're not familiar with complicated things like movie rights and stuff like that. But uh, I guess also Marvel doesn't fully own the rights to the Hulk. Oh, I didn't know That's that. Why they can't do uh, solo Hulk movies. Only Universal can do that. Well, um. Let's get into the original comic issues because actually this talk of the movies – I do love talking about the movies. I'm sure we will talk about the movies throughout this podcast. But they get so much attention now that it makes me sort of like old crotchety man sentimental about the original comics because I think these original comics are so good. And I bet there's a lot of big Spider-Man fans who have not gone back and read all of these. And I think it's totally worth your while. And they're really interesting, especially when you read them knowing the huge empire that would come out of them, basically. Yeah. And if you take into context, like what other superhero comics and comic books in general were like at the time, it's even more astonishing. astonishing. They're really, really great. And we love them. And so 
we are very excited to maybe go over them. So maybe maybe now we should sort of give a little background on these issues that we're going to talk about. Okay. Um, so, and I thought maybe we could – yeah. What do you, what I was going to say, say, so he – Spider-Man premiered in Amazing Fantasy issue number 15. Right. Which was like a – Twilight Zone anthology sort of yeah. comic. Every issue a new story, no recurring characters. That's right. And at that point, Marvel had created the Fantastic Four. Yep. Uh, which were big hits. Big hit. Yep. Um, and I guess at that time, also DC Comics had, they had had Superman, Just- uh, Wonder Woman, and Batman Forever. And they had sort of brought back the Flash and Green Lantern and had started Justice League. So superheroes were around for sure. Yep. Well, superheroes were big in the 40s, like with Superman and Captain America and the original Flash and stuff. Marvel had the original Human Torch and Submariner. But then in the 50s, superheroes died off, relatively speaking, right? The big the yes. big names like Superman and Batman stuck around in DC. But like comics were like Archie comics and romance comics and cowboy comics and war comics and stuff like yeah. that in the 50s. And mo- monster comics. Marvel was a big monster comic company yeah so at the time that spider-man is born it's part of like marvel comics getting back in the superhero game and maybe all of the comics industry getting back in the superhero game so like fantastic four was um marvel's only foothold in the superhero game at the time spider-man started right well fantastic four started then the hulk uh no then (laughs) ant-man that's weird that that's the second one uh though he didn't become recurring till i think after Spider-Man debuted, but his first appearance was uh, before Spider-Man, like six months before Spider-Man. So he's senior to Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe. That's right. That's so it's funny. The Fantastic Four, uh, Hank Ant-Man. Pym, the Ant-Man, <laughs> and the Hulk starts, uh, and then Thor and Spider-Man both debuted in August. Makes sense. The Hulk, Hulk is a monstery is a monster, so it makes sense that he would come in a monster era. Yeah. I mean, Hulk is a very interesting I mean, he's a fascinating. podcast of his own. That, that was we their might... second superhero was not a superhero at all. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yes. Let's, at let's... the time, Amazing 15, Amazing Fantasy 15 debuted. I think there had been five issues of the Fantastic Four, two issues of the Hulk, and one issue of Ant-Man. <laughs> now, let's talk about the creators because I one of the most fascinating things about these issues – I mean these issues are great on their own. But the guys who created them and the talents they had and the way they helped each other, I'm really fascinated with collaborations. One of the things I love in my Beatles podcast is talking about John Lennon and Paul McCartney working together. And there is another really amazing collaboration behind these issues we're going to talk about, and that's Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Yeah, who seem like uh, very different people. Yeah, they seem very opposite. Uh, so what, what, what's our understanding of them? Well, Steve Ditko was uh, um, a private individual. I yeah, think. reclusive, uh, yeah. didn't like direct attention. There's no photos of him since 1965. Yeah. Um, he was, and he's still alive. He lives in New York City right now, drawing in New York. I yeah. mean, he's, he's up there, but he's still alive. Um, yeah, and so he was uh, sort of this... Uh, I mean, he had he was doing a handful of comics. He definitely was doing some of these monster comics and and let's just say he's primarily an illustrator. He he's he's an artist. Yeah, he's um, he he would end up doing a lot of the writing with Spider Man and the and the plotting and that we'll talk about that. But his first and foremost job is he's he's an artist. He draws. Yeah. Uh, and then Stan Lee is sort of a showman, uh, a yeah. boisterous, uh, uh, 
the face of Marvel Comics, the voice of Marvel Comics. Yep. He uh, like, you know, works the people. He answers letters. He if there's ever an interview, he's doing it. Yeah. You know, he he talks to fans. If there's ever, you know, when, when comic conventions begin, Stan is the guy that works the crowd. And he's sort of the guy who created like a Marvel universe. If not the characters, he definitely was the guy who yeah. uh, interacted with fans and made it like, this is a thing. Get on board. Yeah. Stan is credited as and deserves to be the the writer of Spider-Man. He was also the writer of the Fantastic Four. He also was the sort of like, I don't know what his title was in this regard, but he was the executive editor of all Marvel comics. Like he picked who drew what. He hired everybody. Yeah. I think editor-in-chief was like, would, is in a way – but he was yeah. also the editor for a lot of the comics too initially i think he was the creative director of marvel comics yeah um which was way a way smaller operation than it was about to become because of the things that that stan would work on um and but you know if you just read the comics if you like get a reprint of these comics you look at the little credits on the splash page and it'll say stanley writer steve ditko artist that's true but it doesn't really describe how collaborative things were. Ditko did a lot of the plotting and ideas and 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 Stan's contributions, his sense of humor, merging all of the comics into one world, which was a genius move. That's totally Stan. Yeah. Um, the sense of humor seems to definitely come from Stan Lee. Uh, yeah. Have you ever? Yeah. Have you ever seen interviews with Stan? He is. He's genuinely very very funny. Yeah. A little hammy, a little oh yeah, more than uh, a little. Uh, but uh, so, you know, some of that genuinely works. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's kind of like a Catskills, uh, like vaudeville, like oh boy, get a load of this guy, <laughs> like that sort of like vibe. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of bad magazine self-deprecation sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the captions in the comic would sometimes call itself out. Yeah, um, get meta. For no reason, definitely. Um, he, he steered into the silliness of it while also taking it seriously. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I mean, I think one of the many, many great things about Stanley was, and we've talked about this, Kevin, is he knew when to be funny and when to like commit to the story. Yeah, uh, just he in the Fantastic Four and Spider Man, it switches tones so well that. I mean, it's one of the things that really stands out well when you go back and read these. Yeah, and I think Steve Ditko brought a lot of the angst yeah. uh, to Spider-Man. And then uh, Stan Lee's the one that sort of was like made him fun. I totally agree. I mean, of course, we can't absolutely know for sure who did what, blah, blah, blah. But from what we know about these people, Ditko seems kind of humorless, you know, like very like serious and earnest and like passionate and philosophical and Stan seems kind of goofy and like sort of a fun uncle kind of vibe or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I guess all the comics at this time at Marvel were made by what is often called the Marvel method, right? Where Stan yeah. Lee and the artist would discuss a plot. The artist would go off and draw the entire issue. There'd be no like page by page breakdown. There'd be like maybe discussion of a villain or what big beats happen at most. And the artist would draw all of that. And then Stan Lee would take it and put dialogue on top of it. Yeah. And it, sometimes the artist, I guess, would suggest dialogue. But that was sort of all left up to Stan Lee. Yeah, it's a really – it's an interesting process. Um, and when the artist would draw their pages, they would sometimes change from the outline. Like 
Um, yeah. If you were a senior artist, like Jack Kirby was the most senior artist. We'll talk about him in a second. Steve Ditko, also a senior artist. They would sometimes, well, you know, what, what's outlined here doesn't quite work. So I'm going to like change it and I'll, and I'll write in the margins what I'm doing. Um, yeah, they, or they, they were the storytellers in a way, like they, they, they what, guided the way a they, lot of it. They broke the story is a way you could say that that's a very yeah. Los Angeles term. Like, you know, you'd get your idea for the plot and then they would actually, the artist would actually break out the events moment by moment. How are we going to execute this idea? Yeah. And just as a comparison, like current comics are often made by a writer writing a script with like panel by panel breakdowns. Yeah. And they're generally, if they're good collaborators, they leave room for the artists to make choices and are okay with the artists, artists making changes, but it's a lot more spelled out. Um, where back then it was just sort of like, let's do a story about Dr. Doom. Go. It was closer to that. Yeah. Um, these, well, at the, at the time of Spider-Man, Stanley and Ditko, also Jack Kirby, they had like, you know, 15 years of experience doing comics. These were not like new guys. They had done right. like hundreds and hundreds of stories. And I, I kind of have a feeling when they originally did stuff in the forties, they were more planning everything out. But now these guys have done it a ton. It's kind of like comedians. If you're, if you're like someone who's been on Saturday night live for 15 years, you, you can probably beat out a sketch without having to write out every line. You know, you kind of know how it's going to go pretty fast. And they're working on so many comics that I think they just don't have time to to spend that much time just talking about them. They got to keep making them. Yeah. Because, you know, so, would be drawing two or three comics. Kirby would be drawing five or six comics or breaking down and doing covers. And Yeah. So I think these guys, they kind of leverage their experience, you know, like if Stan would say, and we're speculating somewhat, but I can imagine if these guys are really experienced, yeah, we Stan know. would be, we were there. We told, yeah, what we're saying is totally right. Um, you know, if Stan Lee says, okay, so, you know, the villain is this and his hook is this and, you know, you can sort of speak in a sort of shorthand cause you both kind of know the formula a little bit, um, and so they that that's why when you look at the splash page and it says written by Stanley, drawn by Steve Ditko, I don't think it was such a clear division of and who's contributing what. And when this when this character became big, this is a source of a lot of contention that like Stanley would would allow people to give him too much credit. Yeah. And that's true for all the comics he did. Yeah, he was he was a showman. He worked the crowd. He was funny. So if if the if Rolling Stone wanted to do a story on Marvel Comics, Stan was more than happy to let them in and just yap, yap, yap. And then that reporter leaves and goes, Stan Lee is the, the brain, the, the wonderkind of Marvel Comics. Yeah. And the artist would be like, whoa, how come I'm not in that story or whatever? Yeah. And he definitely respected and knew the talent of the artist he was working with. I think he just didn't think it mattered what he said about like who made what. If you, I've read, I've gone back and read a lot of those interviews and he, he never says anything that is an egregious lie. He never says I do everything, but it's almost like a lie of omission. Like he's just so excited to be the guy telling the story that the, the reporter would look at the splash page written by Stan Lee, call him the writer and he kind of wouldn't correct them hard enough. Yeah. That definitely seems to be the case. But he definitely, and, I think he knew how important Kirby uh, and Ditko and were Ditko. to the comics. 
Yeah, the other so there's sometimes a backlash against Stan Lee. Like if if you love comics like we do, you'll read stories of Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko being mad at Stan Lee, and you want to take their side because these are the guys who created the characters that you love. But that backlash can go too far. You you also you can't dismiss how important Stan Lee was to this. Yeah, I, th- I think that happens a lot. You'll see. Uh, um, I don't think Stan Lee needs. To be defended, he did very well for himself and of course, very yeah. successful. But and he and he's still the only name that people know. Like anybody who knows anything about Marvel Comics knows the name Stanley. Yeah, he's the one that makes cameos in every movie. Every movie, which is the hammiest thing, although it's very funny. Yeah, it's very him. It's very uh, him. Yeah, but you will definitely read articles where it's like he didn't do anything. He was a. a he just put he just put the words in the balloons. He was. You know, they was all it was all spelled out by the artist, and he had no like dismissing his vision and his style and his tempo and his way of just even like using these great artists to create the right I mean, products. He had great taste. He yeah. he picked Steve Ditko for this, and why don't we talk a little bit about that? Like, so yeah, um, so this um, uh, so yeah, so Jack Kirby was originally drawing Spider Man. Uh, right. They were like, let's do it. Let's do a kid. Let's do a teenager superheroes. And I think Kirby probably pitched it um, as like uh, Spider-Man, a, you know, a kid who can crawl on walls. Um, and it was pitched as a kid who becomes like an adult superhero, sort of like Captain yeah. Marvel, Shazam. Um, yeah, the hook is how young he is. Right. The secret identity is this young kid, but he's he gets to become this adult superhero. Right. Um. And I think they started working on it and Ditko was inking it. And this is according to the uh, Marvel story by Sean Howe. The untold story. The untold Marvel story. Yeah. Um, I think the official title is Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. Right. Um, And in that, they talk about how Ditko was inking this and said, well, this is just like uh, Jack Kirby's old comic, The Fly. Mm. And uh, Steve Stanley was sort of like, yeah, I think you're right. And he kind of set it aside and reworked it all based on Mm. like what he had already discussed with Jack Kirby and then gave it to Steve Ditko to draw instead. Now I don't know why he made that choice though. I'm happy he did. Um, I don't know. Clearly was the right choice. If it was like, I don't want to offend Jack Kirby by having him do a completely different comic on this idea. Or if it was just like Steve will bring something to this. I don't know, but it came together. Great. Yeah. I think that's something that maybe, doesn't get talked about with Stan, which is he gets talked about as a writer and he gets too much credit as a writer because the artist often would create the characters, but he doesn't get enough credit as an editor. Like he's a great quarterback of the Marvel offices, like the instinct to take it away from Jack Kirby, who is a popular, successful genius artist and give it to this guy who's also very good, but less, less, Probably less of a personality. Definitely didn't have a hit yet. Yeah, it was a genius move. And and Ditko's art was moodier and had a lot more style, uh, had a lot more fluid, like darker kind of noir style. And Uh, and Spider-Man, I don't think would have certainly would not be the Spider-Man we know today without Ditko. Especially when it's about like this sort of scrawny kid turning into like sort of a spindly hero. That all comes from Ditko. Where Kirby is muscles Muscle, and brawn yeah. and power. I mean, Kirby's first hero that he co-created was Captain America. And that is the epitome of a Kirby hero. Yeah. Like, totally good. 
stands up to bullies, uh, full heroic mode at all times. Um, and a, and a great character. I love Captain America, yeah. but, but even like Kirby's, uh, smart characters like Mr. Fantastic is like a square jawed He-Man type. Yeah. He's like Indiana <laughs> Jones, uh, but he's also a genius. Yeah, right, right, right. Kirby reminds me sort of like when I watch um, Singing in the Rain, the movie musical starring Gene Kelly, I look at Gene Kelly and he's a guy who like devoted his life to dancing. You know, he's like he loves tap dancing and like ballet and he was on Broadway. But Gene Kelly looks like a bouncer. He looks like this like like a rough and tumble like dude. He doesn't look like a dude who's into dance. So you're saying Jack Um, Kirby created Gene Kelly? I'm saying that Gene Kelly seems like a Jack Kirby creation to me. I can make a dancer <laughs> like and he makes this like bruiser. Um, so I don't know. You know, one of Lee's first great contributions of Spider-Man was changing the artist to Steve Ditko. Yeah. Um, and it's undeniable that it worked. That one of the things we're going to talk about, and it's unfortunate that this is an audio podcast, is how beautiful Steve Ditko's drawings are. Like, Kirk, Kirk, we, this is not to say anything bad about Kirby. Kirby is absolutely the engine that Marvel Comics was built on. But Ditko's, Ditko's stuff looks so good, and, and he inks his own stuff, so the shadows are very deliberate. And there's lots of shots of like Dr. Octopus where there's menacing, ominous flickers, flame shadows everywhere. And it's so cool looking. Yeah. People hunched over and running away and ducking into alleys. That all feels very Ditko. There's a lot of ominous, dark energy in the story because of Ditko. And Ditko. And it really contrasts well with the very funny, wisecracking personality that Lee gave Spider-Man. And I think Ditko also like grounds the powers and the uh, the world of Spider-Man into like New York, into the streets. Yep. Um, more so than some of these other books that Jack Kirby was doing, which felt bigger than life. Yeah, I mean, Kirby was meant to do like gods fighting in the sky. Like that's where, you know, Kirby's, I mean, he could do a lot, of course, but he feels at most at home when it's like Galactus descends to the earth, you know, and covers the sky with rocks and the Fantastic Four have to battle him above Manhattan or something. Yeah. And Kirby's stuff is sort of like in between the pages, the wrinkles of the world, like what's happening if you're, if you look around the corner. uh, Ditko stuff. Ditko's, yeah. Ditko stuff is happening around the corner, just out of sight. Because even like he did Doctor Strange, which felt like you walked into the wrong place. Yeah, a hidden world at the behind at the back of this library or something. Yeah. Um so oh, I'm so excited already to talk about these. Uh there, a lot of what we know and love about Spider-Man today and a lot of what's in the movies comes from these comics is absolutely laid out in these first 41 issues. I mean there's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of issues of Spider-Man, but so much of it is laid out in this first 41 really in the first 10 yeah um it's it's amazing how much they had right early yeah i would say uh, through that first annual they get a lot of stuff has already been created everything but like green goblin comes out very early um it, it actually reminds me a lot of uh i'm a music fan and kevin i think you're not as much of a music fan yes but i've heard of music yes you know what it is um Elvis Presley, when he was first starting out, did these records called uh, The Sun Sessions. Uh, Sam Phillips was this record producer who owned the Sun record label and signed. He was the first guy to sign Elvis Presley, also signed Johnny Cash and um, 
uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins and other people. But uh, so Elvis's first records are at the Sun Sun Session, the Sun record label. And they've been released as the Sun Sessions. And it's just Elvis and a guitar, a bass drummer doing like blues songs. And they're really simple and stripped down. Um, and they're great. And a lot of people are like, all of rock and roll is laid out in the Elvis Presley Sun Sessions. Um, that's a little, that's an overstatement. But in terms of blues rock numbers, it's kind of true. Like Elvis cracked the code of what would work for rock and roll, at least for a while. And in a way, these Spider-Man issues crack the code of modern superhero comics. Yeah. That makes me think of like uh, J.R.R. Token, Lord of the Rings stuff, which every fantasy novel that follows feels like it is uh, taking a piece of that or a large chunk of that to tell their story. Yeah. You you either are sort of copying Lord of the Rings, not copying, but, you know, following the Lord of the Rings template or you're deliberately veering away from it. And that's what makes your story interesting. Yeah. Like it becomes the standard. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to say one more thing about Kirby Ditko. Yeah. Because uh, I wrote this quote down and I love it. Okay. Um, but as like Marvel Comics got bigger, uh, Kirby was doing more and more comics and would like what are the things he did? He did Fantastic Four. He did Fantastic Four, and at least the, the first issue of the Hulk, the early Avengers. He did Thor. That was a big one for him. Uh, yeah. He did the first issue of Iron Man. Did the original X Men? Did the original X Men? And if he wasn't drawing it, he often was doing like really rough breakdowns for the artist to like draw on. Yeah. So he was basically saying like, "This is the story. You just you know tighten up the pencils." He was basically like the director. He was like, this is how the yeah. composition of this panel will be, and this is the composition of the next panel. And the and the only person he didn't really do that for was Ditko. He didn't break down Ditko stories. Ditko right. was left to his own. And so Don Heck, who became the Iron Man artist after Kirby created him, said Stan wanted Kirby to be Kirby, Ditko to be Ditko, and everyone else to be Kirby. Yeah. Which is a great Kirby line, but I think it's also a very great Ditko line. Yeah, he was he was the exception. Yeah. And very different than Kirby is like everyone else had to be like Kirby, but Ditko was allowed to be himself. Yeah. Um, Kirby, you know, for even after Kirby left Marvel, which was 67 or 68 or whenever it was to go to DC for years, everybody was still told do it like Kirby. Yeah. It was a long time before they yeah. broke away from that mold. Um, another thing that's interesting about Ditko is that he created the characters that eventually inspired Watchmen. Oh, yeah. He created all the Charlton characters. Before he was at Marvel, he was at this comics company called Charlton Comics, and he had created all these characters like the Blue Beetle and the Peacemaker and Captain Adam. Yeah. And the DC. The question, right. And DC bought those characters, uh, and they would do stories with those characters. You, people have probably seen Blue Beetle comics those at are DC. Great, uh, superhero names. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ditko was good. <laughs> but um, when. Uh, at, when they first got the Charlton stuff, they wanted to do a story with them. And in, in the eighties, this was, and they got Alan Moore. They're like, Oh, can you do a story with our Charlton comics? And he's like, okay, it'll be a dystopian post nuclear war and there'll be sex. And, and they're like, uh, you know what? Make your own. Um, but just be inspired by the Charlton ones. And so the Watchmen characters, they all are direct on purpose analogs of old Ditko characters. Yeah. So Ditko is like, I don't think, I don't, a casual comics fan might not know that name, but he is a giant. I mean, he's one of yeah. the one of the big guys in the superhero game. But it, it, 
uh, I keep going back to this, but just like the idea that everybody else had to be like Kirby. So every comic sort of looks the same. I mean, it looked great, yeah. but they look the same. Right. And then Spider-Man looks different. Yes. You know, that absolutely helps sell it too, in a way that it was good, but also different. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. That moodiness. Ditko also, he was very into accurate, um, like body figure drawing. So when Spider-Man's doing these insane flips and like leaps through the air, Ditko would sort of try to draw what a human body would actually look like if it was doing it. You know, I mean, a lot of comic artist style is to deliberately exaggerate the way a body looks or what it can do. Ditko yeah. would be like, well, if you were somersaulting off a flagpole, what do you look like? If you're Ditko's hands are always weirdly deliberately drawn. Yeah. His finger placement. <laughs> yes, they, uh, there's lots of shots of Ditko characters of like characters like ring, you know, rubbing their brow with their hands in anguish. And the, the hands look huge <laughs> and weirdly detailed because Ditko would be like, I'm going to draw the hands right <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and he also didn't like like motion lines. Um, so like he would want like the art itself to show you where somebody's moving. You don't need to see like a little yeah. line shooting off from it to show that someone's moving fast. Yeah. he If you could, if it's drawn right, you can feel it without being sort of told by a motion line. Yeah. He's a really weird dude. So he, he didn't really do interviews ever after 65 and there's no photos of him, but he would occasionally like answer fan letters or something. Yeah. And like in the late 60s, some fan wrote to him for drawing advice and he did write back about drawing advice. And it was something like he was very he was very admonishing in this letter. It was like, you know, learn how to draw accurately and like learn how to do this first. Like, you know, learn your fundamentals. Um, that's also what makes me think of him as a very serious guy. Yeah. I mean, his he feels like he's probably grumpy uh, yeah. and not fun to hang out with. I bet you he's like a libertarian or like kind of a far right, not far yeah. right, like Nazism, but like. I mean, he was you know, a huge Ayn Rand guy, maybe not when he first created Spider-Man, but by the time he left Spider-Man. Fully into Ayn Rand objectivism yeah. and like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, no tolerance for bad guys. I mean, he was a severe dude. Yeah. Um, I guess is. I'm, and I guess is a weird dude. Yeah. Um, but he was the right match for this story. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, let's go a little bit about, uh, we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but the next thing on our outline here is what's special about this incarnation of Spider-Man, you know, and, and even stuff that maybe has kind of gotten dropped a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think, um, especially in this era where, you know, Superman, Batman, Flash, they all exist. Fantastic Four exists. The Hulk exists. Um, I think except for maybe the thing in the Hulk, uh, superheroes were pretty happy. Yeah. Um, and you could say the Hulk isn't really even a superhero. Right. Uh, but Spider-Man was like the first book where it's just like, this kid's not doing well. Yes. He's lonely. Yeah, he's no friends. He comes from a poor family. Even the Hulk has one friend. Yeah, Rick Jones, right? Yeah. Spider-Man just has his Aunt May. Yeah, he's he's a loner, um, and he's and his family's poor, and he's made fun of at school. Um, you know, Clark Kent like was like a 
reporter at a huge newspaper. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was a klutz, but he was like a functional adult walking around. <laughs> yeah. um, Spider-Man almost looks like he's like a like he's going to become Carrie at the prom and like telekinetically destroy everybody. He's like he, he he's going through a hard time. Yeah, he's going through school hoping nobody even talks to him because if they talk to him, that's bad news. Yeah. Um, uh, and then he gets he, superpowers and that should be where he his life gets awesome. But everyone hates Spider-Man, too. Yeah, that's another interesting thing is because of J. Jonah Jameson, the newspaper editor, famous Spider-Man character created by Lee and Ditko, the, a lot of the adult world doesn't trust Spider-Man. Yeah, which sort of makes sense when he's based on a spider. People hate spiders. Yeah. Uh, so there's this creepy dude climbing up the walls. I don't trust him any more than I would trust Dr. Octopus. What's the difference? Uh, I mean, a really fun ongoing thing in the Spider-Man stories is that some people do love him. Yeah. There's like a controversy amongst the people of New York, whether they love Spider-Man or fear him. Yes. But even that is such a cool take on a hero. Like, and it feels, it surprises me. But then when I think about it, it's totally relatable. You know, yeah. it's like, just like how people can feel so differently about a politician or something like that. And it's definitely relatable as a teenager where it just feels like you can't do anything right. Yes. It's like I went out here, I saved everyone, and then the headline is Spider-Man in league with the Green Goblin. Yeah. It's like, oh, It emotionally feels like being a teenager. The world's against you. Yeah. Uh, it is such a savvy take. And I don't know whether that comes from Lee or Ditko. It fits Ditko's kind of darkness and, and intensity, but it also fits Lee's kind of sense of irony, you know, like – J. Jonah Jameson feels like a Stan Lee character to me. And I mean, I know we'll get into this in the next episode, but that was all there in that first story. Like it wasn't a Ugh. happy story. Nothing really goes right. It is an, it is possibly the best superhero origin story of all time. Um, and there's a reason why it's gotten told a million times in the movies too much in almost everybody's opinion. But I can certainly understand why because it's such a satisfying tale. Yeah. Um, all right. So. Oh, let me say one more thing. Oh, yeah. Um, whenever I read uh, like the articles, whenever like a new writer takes over Spider-Man, he's like, I'm going to write Spider-Man now. Uh-huh. And every time that happens, I feel like the writer says, when I was growing up and reading Spider-Man, I was I was Peter Parker. I related to him. Yes. And I think there's something about that, too, where it's like everybody relates to being an outcast. Yeah. Um, I, I think writers sometimes think, oh, this is this gives me different insights. Like, no, we all have that insight. We all feel well, like outsiders. We all feel like we can't win. And we I just mean, we, we are secretly really awesome. And if people would just give us a chance, they'd yeah. see that. I mean, I I totally agree. And I've heard so many times just people say casually, oh, Spider-Man was my guy. I related to him like like non non like casual fans of the superhero world. Yeah. You we'll might be love like, the Fantastic Four, but nobody relates to Mr. Fantastic or the Human Torch. Yeah, who relates to the good-looking jock with cars who's a, a hero of the city? Human and Torch. Who relates you know, to I, Superman, you know, like the guy who – at least, you know, the golden age Superman who is just sort of like ace reporter who has powers unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Superman's another fascinating – Thing for yes. you know, he was born in a different time. Like the Nazis yeah. were invading, and you wanted it was it was a somebody save us, somebody right. who did. is good, come do the right thing. You didn't relate to Superman. You wanted Superman to exist. Yes, yeah. Or Spider Man. Um, I think you were like, I want to. I wish I was Spider Man, <laughs> or maybe I am Spider Man. 
Um, I totally agree. Yeah, emotionally, it was just it was such a step up from Superman to have this character that you could be completely invested in. I could. Be I mean, Spider Man just got bit by a spider. <laughs> that could that could be me. <laughs> I mean, they, it cracked the code of the exact power fantasy of your of a loner kid, which just happened to be the audience of comic books, you know. Yeah. It sort of seems it, obvious now. Yeah. It's like, hey, make this hero like the people reading it. Yeah. Um, but I credit Stan Lee with that. Like the idea, let's make this a superhero who is the same age as our readers. Yeah. And um, I think – it sounds like from this, uh, the Marvel story that Ditko was the one that's like, even when he's a superhero, he doesn't need to become an adult. Like there's a kid under that costume. Yeah. He looks small. Like he's yeah. got the, he's got that huge strength or whatever, but he's not drawn like this hulking, intimidating figure. He looks like a kid, which makes it look even cooler when he does something yeah. strong. Like it's like this little thin guy just like lifted up somebody and punched somebody through a wall or whatever. I mean, I do like to think that that's one of the dividends of that. These guys who created Spider-Man were in their 40s. They'd been doing comics their whole adult lives. So they like they they are ahead of it a little bit. They they know which part of the formula is tired and which part is which part needs to be tweaked. Uh, a, another Stan Lee, Jack Kirby thing was they really didn't like capes a lot. They like were right. they didn't want to put capes on everybody except for Thor. Um in the in the movie The Incredibles, when the costume designer Edna Mode goes on her big speech of "No capes, no capes," yeah, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if that's inspired by Lee and Kirby," because I've heard them say that in interviews. Yeah, I mean, it's everyone has capes. Uh, I guess not everyone, but Batman <laughs> well, by the Superman, time Spider Man, all the DC guys have capes. The original ones, I mean, the original Green Lantern did, but by this point, the Flash didn't, Green Lantern didn't, Aquaman didn't. Oh, yeah, but that's Superman right. is the big one, and Batman is the next biggest, and they both wear capes. Yeah. So I think capes definitely are, and uh, Captain Marvel is probably also one of the biggest cape. Yeah, it's weird. Capes are strange. <laughs> yeah. That's a, <laughs> They're not a like a normal choice. part of your dress. Yeah, it's a weird choice. <laughs> Even in Superman. the 40s, it wasn't like people were walking around the New York City in the 40s with a bunch of capes. Yeah. And it wasn't even like uh, important people wore It wasn't like, oh, cops wear capes. <laughs> So superheroes should wear yeah. capes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about why our, our let's, we can wrap yes. this up sort of in our last segment, which is like sort of our history with Spider-Man. Right. Like we just said, everybody connects with him. We also were people who connected with him. So yeah. when, when did you, when do you remember learning about Spider-Man? Um, so I don't remember the first thing of Spider-Man. It was either uh, you had those little digest reprints of the first 12 issues or first 18 issues of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I think like six issues in each volume. I remember yes, reading it, those a lot as a kid, but then I also these came out in the late, the late 1970s. They were really cool, full color digests yeah. they had for the Hulk and yeah, we had uh, one for the Hulk Spider-Man. and one or two for the Fantastic Four and three for Spider-Man. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, I remember reading those all the time, but then there was also the cartoon, uh, right. That was on TV. The uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends? No, the original one would be like in reruns. Oh, of course. Yeah, the, the classic uh, Spider-Man. Sp- Spider-Man. Yeah. And so that was definitely it. And then he was also on uh, Electric Company. 
That's right. So I That's think right. those three things were like, he was everywhere. <laughs> now, do you remember liking him at that time? or I remember always liking him. I definitely remember liking the Spider-Man comics more than the Fantastic Four and the Hulk comics. Yeah. I probably liked the Fantastic Four the least. Yeah. Though in their defense, I think they get way better. They get way, way better. But they start... They start good. They start good, but it also takes a while before they fully become themselves. Yeah. And I remember liking the Hulk okay um, and loving Spider-Man. Yeah. What about you? Uh, uh, I I actually have a pretty distinct memory of being a little kid. I was born in 1970, so I have a memory of like in the mid-70s, very early memories, seeing pictures of Spider-Man and like wanting to know what his story was. Like, what is, who is this person? Like there was like a board game, Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four team up some weird like board game that either we had or somebody had. And I was like, who is this? Like, what is the deal with this guy? And, um, you know, adults did not know. I would be, (laughs) our father was not concerned with the continuity of fictional characters. (laughs) And I'm also thinking at this time, I'm a kid. To me, everything that I see has been around for all time. But when I'm first seeing Spider-Man in 1975, he's barely 10 years old. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. You know, Um, when we were reading those digests, he was only 15 years old. Yeah. He had not been around a long. I mean, now he's been around for 50, 60 years. Yeah. Which is so long. But he seemed such a huge part of the landscape even then. Like he was already so established. Yeah. I just remember Spider-Man was just part of getting into comics in general. Like uh, it was just getting into Marvel comics, like going to the comic shop, reading the issue and just getting into all of Marvel. Like I kind of associate Spider-Man with that whole experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, mean, Stan Lee was totally right to integrate all of the storylines because when you got into one, you got hooked into all of them. Right. I mean, I definitely knew other superheroes because Superman – uh, Christopher Reeve and Batman Adam sure. West. Yeah. Um, and I definitely remember liking those as a kid, but I don't think they connected as quickly with me as I did with Spider-Man. There's some, I think maybe cause he wore a mask completely. There's he's something interesting about him. Yeah. I also think it's because you're my brother and we both, I think it was when you started reading him also that like when you have like somebody else who's reading it and following it, gets you more into it. Like I feel like when you got old enough that you were reading comics and you were very quickly reading them a lot more intently than me, I think. Um, I, I say that as a compliment, but maybe it sounds like I'm trying to describe you as a nerd. <laughs> True. I can't deny it though. <laughs> but uh, it was more fun. You know, like we'd go to the, we'd, our comic shop was Outer Limits Comics in Danbury, Connecticut. And every Tuesday there'd be new issues. And or was it Wednesday? No, I think it was Tuesday. Wednesday's now so i think it was tuesdays then um and we'd go and they had an issue of spider-man every week because marvel had four different spider-man titles running at yeah. this time i remember and you so, had subscriptions I, I loved to a lot of comics including amazing spider-man uh and maybe peter parker the spectacular spider-man spectacular also yeah but the first comic i remember i got i signed up for was marvel team up which was spider-man teaming up with different heroes Every month, yeah. Uh, that was the first comic I think I said like, all oh, right, I'm going to buy this every month. Yeah. And it got canceled right. like four issues later <laughs> and replaced by Web of Spider-Man, which I then just continued with that, which was not which great. Was... Oh, I remember loving it. The first issue was great. And then I think it gets real bad real fast. 
I mean, this is the fun of it. Like once you get into the weeds like this, where you can remember, oh, this, you know, the Roger Stern era of Amazing Spider-Man was so good. Like when you kind of remember the different eras of writers and artists is like really fun. I mean, I've gone back and reread a lot of the stuff that we started reading. Some of it is great. Some of it holds up really well. And some of it is just like garbage. Yeah. Fill-ins and just like, uh, they were just had had to have something on the rack that month. Yeah. I also remember, I don't know if you remember this, but the serial had a Marvel Comics giveaway for a while. I don't know if it was Kellogg's or something else. I don't remember. There were like four issues of Marvel Comics you could send away for. And the Spider-Man one was the first one with the black costume. Hmm. Mm. So it's him on the cover, basically an homage to Amazing Fantasy 15, but in a black costume. Yes. And that was I remember that we issue. got for free. Um, and there was also like, there was a Fantastic Four one that John Byrne had done that we have like eight copies of. Because I think, I don't know if you knew which one you were going to get when you mailed away. I don't, I don't remember how it worked. But you yeah. had to get box tops or whatever and you'd mail away and you'd get box issues. tops. Well, it was, or UPC. Tables. I know, but it was... It, it was just crazy how many things you had to get box tops for in the early 80s. That was like, they were really interested in you cutting out the tops of boxes and mailing them back. They wanted to prove that you bought it, I guess. <laughs> it's just such a weird time. Uh, now you'd have to scan and scan and the UPC code or something. I don't know. I think, yeah, you type uh, in like a code into a website or something. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I loved all that stuff. I mean. Um, and definitely by the time he was uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends on Saturday morning, I was already, a, I was like great more spider-man i love it at this the time we're talking about which is the early 80s and you and i are both reading comics we're both reading spider-man you know we had those digests where i'd read the first 18 issues of spider-man and loved them um but they didn't have the annuals they didn't have the full ditko run they had the first annual Um, oh you're right because that's the sinister six team up you're right um but then at some point I went back and like tried to dig up old issues of Ditko stuff. And, you know, my 13-year-old self was like, oh, this is the real shit. You know, this is the real good stuff. This is where it all comes from. Uh, and I definitely remember reading the Master Planner saga for the first time. Right. And what's that, 31 to 33? 31, 32, and 33, which I can't wait until we get to it because yeah. it's some of my favorite issues we of all time. We almost should end the podcast there because the next five issues will that be is- – Anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, That is the emotional climax of Steve Ditko's run, which I can't wait until we get to. And is heralded by anybody who knows anything as one of the high points of Marvel. I'm already saying we let this podcast go too many episodes. It's already, yeah, we're already talking it down. (laughs) Stop listening. If you're listening to this podcast, stop after episode, I guess it'll be 34. No, 35 or 36 because of annuals. But anyway, don't read the, don't listen to the last few. I mean, I hope we get that far. Who knows? <laughs> um, but it was just, it was a really exciting thing to be a Spider-Man fan and to look back on those original issues. So I guess, I guess I hope that we're going to yeah. get listeners into those original issues. Or if you're already a fan of them, you'll, maybe you can enjoy listening to us talk about them because you already love them. And I think when they released those essential black and white reprints, there were a few issues yeah. of Ditko that we had not read in there. Or definitely that That's I had true. not. Like there were a few and that yeah. I was like, oh, I never read this one. Yes, that was I had the same experience. Movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, again, in the early 80s when we were reading, so they had four, at that time they had four Spider-Man titles a month. Right. One was The Amazing Spider-Man, which was the original series still running. Yeah. They had Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, which was the second Spider-Man title that started in the late 70s. That's right. 
and was running. The third one and then they was had Marvel, Marvel Team, team up, up, which became which was, Web of Spider-Man. Yep. So initially Spider-Man teaming up with a different Marvel superhero every month, then just another Spider-Man story. And then the fourth one was Marvel Tales, which was just a reprint of an old Spider-Man story. Yeah. Like from the old, from the sixties. So we, that's how we would read a lot of the old stuff. Pre-internet, you couldn't just like look stuff up. You had to kind of wait for it to be yeah. available to you as a physical product. Things weren't collected into collections where, it's where those digests were so rare. You just couldn't get like, oh, here's the first six issues or here's the first year of Spider-Man in a book. Did not exist. The completists had not yet gotten into power where they would be like, people will buy the complete something. Uh, yeah, now I have a hardcover volume of Ditko's entire run on Spider-Man that is too heavy for me to ever read. Yeah, right. It sits on my shelf <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> you just like knowing that it's there. I like having it. <laughs> but when I want to read it, I there's other ways that are easier to read. <laughs> um, so uh, we were reading reprints once a month in our initial Spider-Man Prime heyday. And um, yeah, so... Uh, and I'm glad to be doing this podcast with you because I associate Spider-Man with you and you and me talking about it. And even though you've continued to read a lot more yeah. superhero comics than me. I mean, I'm reading Spider-Man comics right now. Not yeah. the second, but like I'm still reading the current run yeah. of Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. You will be more of an authority than me on the Spider-Man as a whole. But uh, uh, I emotionally connected so strong with these early issues that I'm really excited to talk about them. So I'm psyched. And I'm psyched to reread them. We're going to read them for Yeah, we're going to read one do, so. for each episode. Yep. That's all we'll do it. Um, I guess that's good. Um, that's good for this episode, yeah. I guess. What so do you think? Before the next episode, we're going to read Amazing Fantasy 15. I can't wait. So if you're somebody who has access to those and want to read it first, you know, do that one. Check it yeah. out. Check it out before our next uh, issue. It's I mean, I think it's you've probably read it already. It's one of the most famous issues of superhero comics ever with good reason. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, I guess that's it, Kevin. Um, maybe in the future we will have special segments where we're going to go over and do things, but we don't have any of those right now. Yeah, we'll start those when we actually get into the comics themselves. OK, yeah. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, to all fans of my Beatles podcast, you've probably stopped listening long before now. <laughs> um, to all fans of the comedy podcast that I appear on, I'm sure you've also stopped listening. And I totally understand. But to those of you nerds, you Spider-Man fans, you true believers, <laughs> it's, it's hard to not slip into <laughs> yeah, Stan yeah. Lee when you're talking about Marvel Comics. Except your true belief. Everybody can like do a Stan Lee, you know? He's a very easy voice. He's the guy, I forgot to say this back when we were talking about Stan Lee, he's the guy that would like anything hammy yeah. about Marvel comics. He's like, when Titans clash, you know, or like, You've and he's the one in the Marvel marching society. <laughs> Don't miss next issue. Like, um, and also all the crazy adjectives for all the Spider-Man titles, like the incredible, oh, yeah. amazing. <laughs> he was like a constant salesman. Yeah. You know? Everything had to have an adjective. And so whenever I talk about Marvel Comics, I slip into Stan Lee because how can you not? Yeah. I mean, the Marvel Comics of the 60s were written with a big exclamation point at the end of everything. Uh, so I guess uh, just like Stan Lee, I'll tell you to tune in next episode, listeners. You're not going to want to miss Amazing Fantasy 15 discussion. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're an after show. <laughs> 40, 
uh, 45 years. years. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Kevin, I'll see you next episode. All right. Bye. Well, uh, Hey everybody. Uh, we're jumping back in here because we realized we just want a way for you to contact us. If you want to comment on something we said or, uh, correct us or, uh, just, I don't know, talk to us at all. Um, we'll have an email address set up by next episode, but for right now, the best way to get in touch with us through our Twitter accounts, uh, I'm Will Hines and my Twitter account is Will Hines, W-I-L-L-H-I-N-E-S. And I'm Kevin Hines and my Twitter account is Kev Hines. So K-E-V-H-I-N-E-S. Yeah, Kev Hines. That's your online handle always. That's right. If I can get it, it's Kev Hines. If it can't be that, I'm Kev Hines 12 usually. So, yeah, tweet at us if you want to say anything and we'll have an email address next episode if you want to say something longer. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Spider-Man.